0: Welcome to another show of the Designers FM podcast. Um, Last week we finished our mini-series, a series of uh, shorter episodes, 20 to 30 minutes. This week we'll start with something new. Um, Another series, not as mini, but still a series, and it's called What's Wrong with Design. Okay. So you wanted to talk about how to fix design in Silicon Valley. And I believe yeah, let's
1: get into some fun discussions. We've been kind of skirting around some of these issues. I feel like you and I have really interesting discussions when we're not being recorded. And I would like to try to have as much of one while I'm being recorded. Although I will preface this by saying I need to watch myself. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we'll see. Yeah. Let's do a discussion about what's wrong with Silicon Valley. How can we fix design in Silicon Valley? So I guess the first thing to do is identify the areas we should talk about, what we could talk about and how to fix Silicon Valley. I kind of block this into a section of process, what processes are are screwing things up, the people side of the fence, what's going on with who's doing this stuff, and then the product side. So what kind of products are being made, what's being invested in, how these products are actually being used by, by, by folks. So that's kind of what I was hoping we could discuss, you Yeah. Know, if you're up for it.
0: Exactly. Let's start with, the, with process. I think you want to start that, with process? Yes. So All right. So what do you think is the current situation? What's the problem with regards to process?
1: Yeah. So to keep it short and sweet so we can get into this uh, in a deeper fashion, it's just time. The thing that I've experienced the worst over my career is watching time become not important but everything having to be done like in two week cycles like this agile thing or everything having to be done every day to you know continuous deployment everything having to be done right now so for me the the worst part about the process change has been time
0: and when do you feel this shift happened was it the because i i still remember i'm not
1: when you started how, how much time were you given to do projects when you got into
0: this what I remember when I when we had our own company and we would build complete products basically apps for businesses some would just take 6 to 9 months that mm-hmm. was like there was more like okay like, I think 6 months especially six in months. like in that space was a was a normal timeline I would say
1: and that was start to finish or what what is 6 months
0: that was the the first shippable version
1: did you start from scratch or did yep. you start with the existing version
0: no started from scratch okay and i think that already was a bit on the short uh, time because six months Mm -hmm. is not that long especially with with the few amount of people that worked on it Mm -hmm. but it was
1: okay yeah so my experiences has been again back in the 90s was starting from scratch took roughly a year maybe two years for a new product and starting with an existing product took about a year cycle So release cycles were about a year. So, for example, when I joined uh, Adobe, Photoshop and Illustrator, Photoshop 4 and Illustrator 8, each took uh, 14 months, if I remember correctly. On products that I worked on before I joined Adobe, my own stuff, they took about a year, year and a half and whatnot. Something like uh, Figma and InDesign, very complicated products, took anywhere from uh, four to five years to get to a useful point. Yeah. Um, InDesign especially took longer than five years, but it roughly took about four years to five years in total when the project got going for real. Yeah. So yeah, that's a huge difference, right? And then now today you walk into a company and they expect you to be shipping every week or even every day sometimes yeah. or in these two-week agile cycles, which I think is ridiculous. So that's the difference. 95, let's give it, you know, 14-month cycle for a, a rework or for a, a revision. to two years for something new, and to today, everything is in two weeks.
0: I I, I don't get it. (laughs) And especially with the processes for building these new products, like the expectation is just so off that it's hard to negotiate something that is actually like realistic.
1: Yeah, no, exactly. The the crazy thing about it is that you spend a lot. So that's the first part about the process is that is the time. And the crazy part about the time thing is that the short amount of time you have to to work through a problem to figure these things out, the more shortcuts and, and bad uh, directions you take without even realizing it. At the end of the day, you can do as many uh, dress rehearsals and as many uh, tests and prototypes and all that kind of stuff as you want, but you're not going to know anything for real until you ship it for real. So that's kind of where the pressure for time comes from is that people want to make it real as soon as possible. Yeah. But been doing so, they, they don't even bother with all the, the standard things you need to do to make sure that when it goes, it becomes real, that the things that are happening are really there. Yeah. So I think a lot of this, my recollection was the, it was speeding up to some degree. So from 1990 to 2000, the timescales were trying to be made shorter. People were trying to make them faster, but it wasn't really getting a lot of traction. It wasn't moving that much. And then somewhere after the .dot com crash, I guess Lean Startup came out. Yeah. When is when did that book come out? Do we do you know? Can oh, you find? I'll look it up. So my recollection is that when that book came out, suddenly everybody had an excuse. Oh, here's the reason why we need to move faster. And yeah. everybody pointed to that book and the processes in that book, even though that book really had no. It was not tested in reality for any amount of real time that you should do something like that.
0: Yeah. Um, C- that was my
1: recollection. Is yeah. that's when things got crazy.
0: Twenty eleven. That was the uh, original. Published okay, date. so
1: during the aughts, I guess then is when people were testing these ideas out, and then that book comes out and it justifies it.
0: Yeah, but it, the thing is, although I completely agree with you, some people really like the agile movement, and I'll give you an Do example. You? I hate it, but it's that's just. <laughs> okay. But that's just the the maybe it's my personal preference. I'll give you an example. Um, if you're an indie maker, like Peter levels for, for, for instance, who wants to start his own company on his own and Mm -hmm. has no VC funding, doesn't want VC funding. So he knows he's in there with his own money. If you build a product, you want to get, you want to get it out there as fast as possible because you don't want to spend your own valuable time and resources Building something for six months and then realizing, oh, I just spent like 60K of my own savings building a product that I um, shouldn't have shipped in the first place. Sure. So what would
1: you... Do you want me to answer why, you, what, yeah? what, what, what that person should do? Yeah. That person should deal with it. <laughs> I don't know what to say. The problem with <laughs> the Agile thing is it's trying to guarantee something that's not guaranteeable. It's trying to make it so that the risk level is reduced so much that people think that there's no risk. There's always going to be risk. And I understand the need to reduce risk and to reduce the desire to not blow a bunch of time or a bunch of money. But the way to do that, in my opinion, is be methodical, not to shorten the time length artificially, just because that's the way the, the work corporate world works. So being methodical is just picking a method and process by which you can keep forward progress going, whatever that looks like. Maybe it's daily for you. Maybe it's one month for you, but the agile process and just the idea behind it and the scrum process and the stories, and it just becomes so artificial and so much like a recipe that people become kind of brainless with it. And you get brainless processes. You get stuff shipping just because we have to ship the method behind this or the, the way people think of it is, if you don't ship, then you're not learning. It's okay if you ship a bunch of crap, then what are you learning about a bunch of crap, yeah. so what's the usefulness in that? So that's the problem I have with that kind of stuff is that I'd rather be methodical and I'd like to use as much time as possible, but I understand the need to not use all the time, but now we've got this expectation from agile that things can happen in two week cycles. Yeah. It's just like, you can't do anything in two week cycles. You can do some things, sure you know, Instagram and Facebook and Airbnb and all these other companies have built some things in very fast cycles, but look what they've done. Yeah. You know, there's been no real impact testing or in, you know, testing on the impact of how these things actually work.
0: And I think it also doesn't mean that if you're taking the time to build a product, you only show this product to your customers after this one or two years, you can still find ways to incorporate like user testing and feedback sessions along the process, because I think oh, that's what you did at uh, Adobe.
1: Yeah, that's exactly what we did. And and to that point, I'm not saying take 10 years, but I'm saying some things take time. Figma was one of them. That was one of the disagreements I got into with the the founders of, of that company was that this is going to take a time long time. And they didn't want to hear that, but it took a long time and it became a good product because of it, quite frankly. If it was trying to be too fast, then it's just not going to work. So yeah, you got to walk that line of what's too long and too short. But I I feel like more than two years is too long. Yeah. Okay. And two weeks is definitely too short. So is six months viable? Yeah, I can see six months working for a lot of things. Depends um, on the size of the product. If it's from scratch, I feel like it's a little too fast. Yeah. Just me. If it's a revision or an update, then six to nine months is a good time cycle, quite frankly. But at the same time, the thing that, these processes do is they take away the playfulness and the play time from the engineers and the designers mucking around with crazy ideas and trying things just because they can. And if you lose that time, you're going to miss some of the magic in the final product. That's been my experience is that, you know, when you turn everything into that style of approach, you get a rote, boring, straightforward product that has also a lot of shitty behaviors and bugs. Yeah. That needs a two week cycle every week to fix. It's just crazy.
0: And you said like time is the issue, but I always read like time is of course is money. Like how would you answer the question, okay, if I give you six months or nine times runtime, like when are you going to when are you going to give me money? Because that's all, always the I don't agree with it, that's always the excuse that people come up with. If you spend six to nine to maybe to twelve months on a product, like it's, if it's not shipped, it can't make money.
1: Yeah, that's actually a very interesting question. It, it reminds me of something that I remember one of the engineers I worked with uh, when I was younger, he used to say all the time, his name was Paul. He was a very uh, sarcastic kind of guy, but very funny in my opinion.
0: Yeah,
1: We get into arguments at my first company with uh, the guy who was running sales and the guy and the CEO, quite frankly, because they were trying to say, you know, they're trying to, you've heard the thing where it's like, you know, fast, cheaper, good, pick two. Yeah. Kind of thing they were trying to get all three. They were trying to get the the fast, cheap, and good out of us, and we were trying to say that we couldn't do that. And they kept trying to force the issue, and then Paul, at the end of the day, said, "Look, we've all agreed to October for however long that was away. What's going to happen is we'll have the product we have in October, and you will sell it." And that, and that kind of ended the discussion basically, because Paul was just, he was frustrated too. He's just, look, we're going to do the best we can. I, I, that's all I can tell you. What do you want me to tell you? We don't know what October looks like until we get to October and you will sell what we have. And I feel like a lot of people try to guarantee what they're going to get. And that's the problem. What you should be doing is being methodical about it and increasing your chances of success, but not decreasing your chances of no success. When you try to decrease your chances of being unsuccessful, that's just a recipe for disaster. Yeah, you're just going to lose. Your goal is to give your good people as much room and ability to do what you hired them for. So let them do it and uh, get out of their way. That's my that's my opinion.
0: And if you work at a company where it's mostly optimization and uh, like building up on new products, like building mm-hmm. new features, would you say the same thing holds?
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's, it holds no matter what. The less time you give people, and especially good people, to do things, the more you're going to force them to create shortcuts, take shortcuts, not, and not do uh, the amount of research or effort or quality control or any number of things that they could do. That's just the way that is. If you give them too much time, then they may take forever. So your job is to figure out what's the right amount of time. And I can guarantee you two weeks is stupid. I feel one quarter is not enough. And I feel my sweet spot has been between three quarters and four quarters. Two years, is more than two years is probably too long. Your job as a product person, and your job is running the business is to figure that out. But if you keep demanding or asking for cheap, fast, good in two-week cycles, you're just going to keep getting crap.
0: Yeah. So let's go a little bit further into this question. Let's say that a company wants to get into giving teams more time to build stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Let's say they want to get rid of the two-week sprints and move into quarters, maybe two quarters of, of building process. Mm-hmm. Like, what will be the problems that they get into and the problems they have to solve? Because I can think of a few, but I'm curious to see.
1: What no, you. No, let me hear yours first, then. Just um, give me one. Yeah, I'll give you one.
0: So the first problem is going to be that you're going to check in less often so mm-hmm. you're going to report into uh, middle management less often. So what are those people going to do?
1: That's a good question. Maybe you shouldn't have them.
0: <laughs> exactly.
1: Yeah, that's, yeah, I, I don't want to get into that. Uh, that's, that's the people part of this discussion. Let's, get, let's save that for the people part of this discussion. Yeah. So the check-in less often is kind of a, a red herring. It's a, that's kind of a straw man. That, there's nothing that says that they don't have to check in less often. I think you and I had this discussion at one point, where I told you my goal is to do one thing a day, yeah. one thing a week, one thing a month. I tend to think of Agile like that. If Agile was like that, which I think it could be, I would probably be uh, okay with it. And so, the idea behind this, just for you know everybody's listening, is that given a bunch of tasks, I tend to break my tasks up into: I got to get one thing done today, I got to get, I have to get one thing done this week, I have to get one thing done this month. And then by the end of the year, I've gotten a lot done. So yeah. the one thing done in the month is a big goal. The one thing done in a week is a medium goal. And the one thing done in a day is the immediate simple goals. Mm-hmm. So if you take a project and you do that, that approach, so one thing a day is get these five icons drawn. One thing that week is work out the color system for the design system. You know, and one thing that month is ship X feature you know, yeah. or make X feature work. That's kind of how I think of, of those things. If you take that approach and you give me two, or give me three quarters, that's three big features for yeah. one person. You know, so that seems to be reasonable. If you have a team of a small team of designers and engineers, you're talking a good, you know, twelve to eighteen good features in six to nine months, and a lot of high quality work uh, in between. So that sounds reasonable to me. That's what I'm getting at.
0: But isn't also the problem that I think right now, if you go into uh, product teams, especially because there is a two week cycle, they tend not to make plans or come up with a vision for longer that's than definitely six, one of the problems. six months. And yeah,
1: that's absolutely one of the problems. Agile has created a lot of uh, unintended consequences and a lot of them that are very hard to get out of because now people have gotten used to this notion. So if you want to look at what's wrong with Silicon Valley, to me, the lean startup and the agile process is definitely one of the, the rots that's going on. It, it creates all kinds of problems, lack of vision, excuses, time problems, ideas of, you know, the way you learn is, is you ship crap, so you yeah. learn stuff fast, which is just, in my opinion, wrong. Yeah, it's created all those kinds of things. And lack of vision is, is a huge one, definitely. You know, you, if you don't have a vision for what you're going after, that's fine. But you need to have some idea of what you want to do. Yeah. You can't just be making stuff just because.
0: And I think what I've noticed along the years is that first, if you go to, especially like product teams or, or companies at all, and you ask for, okay, where's your vision? Where's your strategy? Where's your roadmap? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> a lot of them actually don't have it. And then the other problem is that if they do have it, it tends to change every three, four months. And I'm of the opinion, like if you have a vision and a strategy and a roadmap for your product or for your company, stick to it. Because otherwise, like, why did you come up with this vision, product, uh, strategy and roadmap?
1: Yeah, so this gets into the process problem as well too, right? The the cycles of time have gotten so short that people's attention spans uh, don't hold long enough to stick to their guns about what they should be doing. Like the thing about Apple, which is amazing, is a lot of people seem to not realize that Apple works on their features for two to four to five years sometimes, but they've got so much going on that when they do their releases, it looks like they're moving very quickly, but they're actually moving very smartly and very methodically. So they just get things going. And sure, there are some features that, that they're shipping that are very quick. But when you look at like face recognition, that was under development for a long time. And then when it ships, it looks like it comes out of nowhere. Why? Because they did the thumbprint thing before. So they've got them working in like these adjusted time shifted timelines and it looks really fast.
0: Yeah. You yeah. give yourself way more time if you plan ahead, right? I mean, yeah, the- and,
1: st- and stick to a vision. Yeah. You know, you can adjust the course of the vision or the shape of the vision, but if you're going to constantly be thinking that we didn't figure this out in four weeks, therefore we have to change our entire plan. Yeah. You're basically screwed and you're just going to make people upset. So the other problem with this, by the way, too, is just on the process thing. I'm going to go to a different direction here, if you don't mind, Yeah, is the open office. I, I, I cannot stand the open office. The open office has created a really bad process where companies do multiple things that are damaging, in my opinion. The first one is, is that they move people around all the time. It's an open office. Therefore, we can shift and adjust based on how we're growing and stuff. And they basically completely destroy people's rhythm and ability to get settled and feel like they're at home working and doing good stuff. Yeah. And then the second one is, is that the open office has no place for, you know, studios and places to post stuff and whiteboards and any number of things that you need to build good products. It doesn't have uh, anything, that, all the different things that you need to build good products. And that's a real problem with yeah. the open office part is in how it impacts the actual process for things, you know. Yeah, I. Yeah, yeah. What do you think about open office? Have you, have you ever worked in a place where you had your own office?
0: Yeah, when we had our own company, we had our own office, and productivity wise, was the best. I remember when my hmm. parents at some point switched to, or their company switched to, the new work as they called it, which was right. basically you don't have your own desk anymore; you can sit everywhere you want. And uh, my parents worked in the uh, education sector and they were making like the the tests that you do before you finish um, uh, high school. So a lot of these people were doing a lot of research and they had a lot of like uh, literature and like files and and that sort of stuff. So they had like offices with, you know, with books and all this stuff. And at some point, yeah, you can't, it's not a thing anymore. And they, people came into the office actually like an hour earlier, because they were looking for the good seats. Because the, the, yeah. the, the good seats were places where you actually had space and quiet.
1: Right. Yeah, exactly. Because I think- remember at, at Twitter, when we moved into the new building at Twitter, they have all those cubby holes. This actually happens at booking too, I think. It happens almost every place I see that has an open office. Where people don't sit at their desk, they go find the cubby holes and they put their headphones on. Yeah. If you've got a lot of people doing that in your company, that should be a big sign that these people can't get their jobs done. Yeah, exactly. In my opinion, it's, yeah, it's just the open office thing. It makes no sense. It, it completely screws up process. If you ever go to Pixar 2, by the way, yeah. Pixar is really cool. And a lot of the game companies, I think like Blizzard does this, you know, at Adobe, it was also like this for a long time while we had offices, people, Pixar, their office is filled with toys and all kinds of stuff that makes it feel like home plants and people's offices are, are where they feel comfortable. It's like an extension of their home. Yeah, and their personality. Some people have clean offices, some people don't. But it's really nice to see people kind of settle in. And when they settle in, they do great work, in my opinion. And if all you're doing is shuffling people around and making them feel temporary yeah. or make it feel that they don't have a space of their own in your company, then what do you expect out of them, like process-wise? It just doesn't make any sense. It's maybe efficient, but it, it's just, yeah. Open offices have got to go. Yeah,
0: I don't have the research at hand, but i I do believe that there is a... That there's a high correlation between, like your work environment and your workspace and how it's set up, and and how productive you are. And then for one yeah. reason, I think people we are creatures of habit, right? So we want to mm-hmm. do like if you walk around offices, especially at Booking, that some people are trying to make their desks a little bit their own, like with their own pictures, with some plants, with like coffee machines, with it and stuff. That is, according to company rules, like strictly forbidden. That yeah. you, you shouldn't do that because hazard, wow, blah blah. Right now, because everyone's working at home, you see you're you having a peek into what people actually want because the, mm-hmm. the company can't control like where I'm working at home. Like good luck trying to get that painting off the wall that I like of a naked woman, whatever. You're seeing all these crafted offices and people like like working from, from the couch because they like it. You can't put people into a mold and say this is where everyone is the most productive and especially with all the people around them. I feel, and I'm not sure I haven't fed this, but like for product managers who are like in and out of focus mode, a lot of the time, it's maybe a mm-hmm. little bit more convenient. But for something creative, when I'm on the, uh, the couch right now and I'm trying to do some coding work, and my girlfriend's next to me and she like, every 50 minutes she starts asking, what do you think about this? What do you think about this? I don't do anything for an entire day.
1: Yeah, that's exactly the, the point. The, the people who don't have impacted by, by doing these things are the ones who are in meetings a lot. So that's product managers themselves and executives. And even with executives, they, they just do the bad behaviors anyway. They'll be in a meeting and they'll be on their phones. Okay, why are we having this meeting? But yeah, I've, it doesn't make any sense to me for anybody doing a creative endeavor, why we have open offices. <clears throat> so yeah, I just want to see them go.
0: Do you think that right now with the world changing and with like more of us going remote that this is something that in five to 10 years we think back, we think back to and laugh about?
1: Yeah. I don't know. That's a good question. Hope so. I miss being able to work in a spot where I can close my door and go into focus mode for a couple of hours. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know if we'll laugh about it. I don't even know if it's going to happen, to be honest with you. I think the inertia around this one has also gotten to be too much. That's also true. So. Yeah, I don't know if it's going to change. Even with the the fact that people are working at home and seeing what, I don't know what's gonna if it's going to look like they're getting more done or not. I guess we'll see.
0: Yeah. Do you think it's realistic, the the things that we mentioned in terms of the agile process and the, the work environment that big companies are going to listen to this feedback and actually make some changes?
1: No, I think a lot of what happens is that they don't listen to the feedback. They, they wait for somebody to prove success otherwise, basically. And so until somebody comes around and shows that you can do better with this again, it's going to go away. There's perceived success right now. But let's put it this way. So the open office thing is it's actually fine, right? It's okay to have one. What's not okay is it, it's again with that cheap, fast, good mentality people are like trying to get all three. It's like, no, you get cheap, fast and good. Pick two. You can't pick three. You must pick two. Do you want it cheap and fast? Do you want it cheap and good? Do you want it fast and good? What kind of si- uh, stuff do you want us to work on? We cannot do all three at the same time. And if we tried, we'll get to burn ourselves out instantly uh, pulling that maneuver off. Yeah. It's the same with open offices. It's if you want good products, if you want to give people, if you want ha- happy and healthy employees, and you want to make, you know, top line margins and all that kind of stuff. You're probably not going to get all three. Pick two. So the thing I have a problem with open offices is that companies um, go around saying that they're empathetic to their employees. They want their employees to have good mental health. All these things about it. And it's no. Open offices is a glorified sweatshop. So if you want to have that, great. Just stop blowing smoke up, you know, everybody. Yep. Just Stop pretending that you care. Because if you actually cared, you would not do this to people. And, you know, stop trying to trick your employees that you, into thinking that, you know, you, they matter to you when they don't because you put them in an open office. That's my take on it. I don't think a, a companies are going to change in, inherently. And, you know, if they're trying to make money, they may, maybe they shouldn't. But they should definitely stop pretending that they, that they care.
0: Yeah. I think with more and more companies going remote, they'll see. And I think right now also you see it when... Employees have been forced to work from home for a period of time. It's like the they notice a change when they're going to back to the office. From the people that mm-hmm. I've spoke that returned back to the office after working from home, they all say, "Ah, oh, fuck! It's so horrible. Like all this open office space, all the all yeah. the all the bullshit they had to to yeah. deal with." I'm kind of hoping that this this means that people are a little bit more vocal about the things that they hate about the office because I think yeah. everyone always complains about open offices, but is there, have you worked at a company where there was a uh, big employee, a group of employees who actually went to the leadership and said, we, we don't want to work here anymore. This is. <laughs> no,
1: I haven't. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah.
0: So that's also, I like to make this maybe like a call for action in terms of, People if, need to be vocal. Yeah, if you work from if you work from home and you like it and you like the space that you can work from with like your little plot, pots and plants, maybe a couch, maybe even like a console to, to have the the odd gaming session. If you go back in the office and you hate it, just be vocal about it because I think yeah, be if, very vocal about it. If you think if you talk to your colleagues about it, they will have the same opinion. I think yeah. it's also people are just like scared. I I won't speak to my manager about this because I think it's stupid hurting your productivity. Is it really stupid?
1: No, that's a good point. Everybody go be vocal about that. Definitely. I yeah. agree. Agree 100%. Awesome. The last part of the process thing I want to talk about real quick is um, now on the designers themselves, if we can do that. So yeah. we kind of blasted the executives and the middle managers here for a second <laughs> about these things. The last part I think about what's screwing up designed and products in Silicon Valley is designers' processes, they don't measure themselves and how they're doing uh, it in a way that is impactful, I I think. What I mean by that is one of the measures I have about how much I'm contributing to a product, the end goal of of a product, is how much of the work that I've done is actually in the shipping version. And what I mean by that is everything from just what icons are drawn and screens and layouts are done to actual behaviors, to, you know, copy that's been written to sometimes code and depending on what kind of product it is, you know, what parts of the code that I've, I've got my hand on. And I feel like a lot of designers, our processes yield less of that and we don't hold ourselves accountable for it. And I feel like if you have more of your hands in the final product, you will inherently know whether your processes are working or not. Yep. Does that make sense? Am I saying that in a way
0: that makes sense? You're basically making every interaction designer obsolete. That's what you're saying?
1: <laughs> yeah. They, they have, they've, no, it's percentage. They've got, some, they've got some workflows in there. Yeah. But if that's all they've got, then what are they actually doing? Are their processes actually useful? Yeah. Well, I, So to me, it's a way of measuring if your process is actually useful. So if your process is the deliverable stops with you hand it to a product manager, or you hand it to an engineer. But if your deliverable actually has to find its way into the product, then it's a different discussion, right? Yeah. This is to kind of get at the people who are always doing nothing but drawing boxes and arrows, or nothing but sticky notes, or nothing but posters, making posters, or presentations, or yeah. everything but actually getting their hands in the code, and checking things in, and excuse me, and building stuff. So you did that on Citibook, which is kind of like where I'm getting at with this. You know what I'm talking about in yeah. this regard? Like you you have to get your work into the product. If it's always a handoff or it's always a del- deliverable that's printed or deliverable that doesn't you know, result in assets in the product, then what are you actually doing? Yeah. And to me, that's one of the things that's making bad products Is designers, just do a lot of handoff.
0: Yep. And that's also, I think I completely agree with you by the way. I think there are so many designers out there and they're, if, if you look at the work they're producing, then it's Google Slides, spreadsheets, presentations, talks about all the work they're doing. And mm-hmm. then if you actually look at, okay, what's the work you've been doing that is actually in a product that is shipped to a customer? It's zero to none. But to your point, what I like to do is every time I design something, I like to think about the first end user, and the first end user is going to be the engineer that's going to build it. So mm-hmm. if I can make that right. process more efficient and, that, and if I can help them build it faster and more efficient and in a better way, it also makes me look good. Because in the end, it's my design that's going to be built by someone who's going to be shipping it into a product. And I think
1: That's a very good way to frame that.
0: Yeah. And I think a lot of, and this goes back to the discussion we had about should designers code, a lot of designers, they don't, they don't know how to code and they design something and then they hand it over and then, yeah, let the engineers crack their skulls on it. Let them do all yep. the, the, high, the, the, the more painful thing. And I think if you code yourself, and I've been doing a lot of React like the past two weeks to kind mm-hmm. of uh, uh, put myself on a little bit more pressure, it's freaking hard to, the thing you make in Figma and Sketch, it's freaking hard to make it really work in a code, exactly, and that's where you have to think about.
1: Yeah, and so to that point, your process can actually result in a schematic or even a spreadsheet, but it has to be a very detailed schematic and a very detailed spreadsheet. Yeah. Error conditions: what happens when these two things clash at the same time? Race conditions: you know, bad data, you know, uh, any number of things. And so the problem with the process that yeah that we do is that a lot of designers draw stuff and they hand it off, and then they wonder why. Yeah. It, it got changed It's because they didn't go through and figure out more of what they needed to do and gave the people who are going to build it for them everything they needed to know.
0: Yeah, I think it's ironic because the amount of times designers complain about, oh, the data model shit, like how can I work with this stuff? Like <laughs> the brief is so shit. Like where are the requirements? What are we doing? Like where's the research? And we take all that frustration and then a lot of the times we give the engineers the same frustration but then in in a different form by yep. just handing it over without any thought about specs and behavior and interactions and all that sort of stuff
1: yeah yeah exactly that's one of the processes that we have to fix ourselves is we have to find ways that our deliverables the things that we make actually find their way into the product and to me this is a percentage thing if you can get it to 100 percent, amazing I, I doubt that will ever happen but Good luck going for it. If you're doing it like 10%, you need to get your shit together. Yeah. You know, 50% is already a mediocre score. You know, whatever you're making at the end of the day, whatever you're outputting, how much of your output is actually in the final product? And you gotta be a f find a really good way to start measuring and test that, in my opinion. And that's where a lot of the stuff is breaking down too with with things in Silicon Valley and just bad design is yeah, designers aren't measuring their own deliverables and understanding how their own deliverables are uh, not up to snuff.
0: I think it to uh, kind of draw a conclusion here. I think it for designers, it all boils down also to grow a pair, Mm. make sure that what you're doing, uh, if you want the impact also like first look at yourself, look in the mirror. What are the things that I can improve before I start whining and bitching about the executives and the developers and like the short term sprints, like, First look at yourself. How can you improve your work by actually trying to improve the stuff that you're doing and the stuff that you're shipping before yeah. you start whining about other stuff?
1: Yeah, totally. Absolutely. Yeah, so that's the process conversation, right?
0: Yep. Time,
1: Agile needs to die.
0: We should Bleed. just have a. balance uh,
1: needs to go and designers need to, to, to fix their own deliverables.
0: The next big bonfire that's going to happen should mm-hmm. be everyone brings their copy of the Lean Startup. And then we put it on the bonfire and we like collectively <laughs> burn <laughs> everything. Let's not get the
1: book burning. Let's not do that. Let's be careful here. Yeah, I mean, it would be nice if somebody would go back and revise it. You know, yeah. now that we've had 10 years of, of it being a, a formal thing, somebody just needs to go back and just fix the stuff that got screwed up with it, in my opinion.
0: Thanks for joining us this week on the Designers FM show. Make sure to visit our website, designers.fm, where we put links to all the shows on all the different platforms. So you never have to miss one. And uh, you can also subscribe to updates so you don't miss a show. Um, While you're at it, if you like the show, please leave a review on iTunes or just tell a friend about us. We'd be extremely thankful. That's all for now. I'm your host, David, and this class is dismissed.